Hey, it's your host, Ella. I'm so glad you're here. I wanted to talk to you a little bit before we got into this interview with Dr. Becca Levy. You know, we talk a lot about mindset on the show, but equally, longtime listeners know that I am deeply interested in our physical health and what that looks like and how to maintain an optimal state no matter what our age. And following the most recent episode on perimenopause that I just did with Dr. Meg Mill, I really wanted to follow that up with an in-depth conversation about how we think about aging. I read a stunning figure the other day, and I'll, I'll read it to you now. Research shows that non-biological factors, including age beliefs, determine as much as 75% of our longevity. Non-biological factors, including age beliefs, determine as much as 75% of our longevity. That is wild. (laughs) This book goes on to say, additionally, age beliefs can be improved so they benefit all aspects of the aging process, including the way genes operate and the extension of life expectancy by seven and a half years. So if you've been listening to the show for a while, you already know the power of belief can be absolutely transformative in your life. But that's the first time I've ever seen data saying that the way we think about aging or the way we think about anything can actually impact our genetic expression. That is uniquely powerful. Increasing life expectancy by seven and a half years just by reframing the way we think about aging and what we expect for ourselves. Anyway, it had me digging deeper and I wanted to bring the researcher responsible for this on the show. And that's what today's episode is about. We talk about how your beliefs about aging can have such an enormous impact on your experience. So whether you're 28 or 68, I think there will be something in this show for you because we're all aging, obviously, but more importantly, we're surrounded by people in different points in their life and surrounded by images and role models. And to the extent that we have any control over it, I find it so interesting that how we think and talk about aging will directly impact how we experience it. So that's what this conversation is about. And I have a challenge for you as you listen to this. And that is to ask yourself, what do you believe to be true about aging for you? What do you see around you? What can you influence about what you see around you? In the show notes for this episode, I am going to link to, it sounds really silly, but to a number of Instagram accounts of women who are strong and powerful and over 40, because seeing them in my feed is one little thing that I'm doing to help shape how I think about aging. They are strong, they are vivacious, they are role models, and they're not 18. (laughs) And I think that diversifying our images of aging is really helpful. And it's one tiny tactic that I'm recommending to you. And those links will be available in the show notes. But I'm also super interested in what you have to say about what you do to positively shape your view of the next 20, 30, 40 years for yourself. Is there anyone that you follow or find interesting? I would love to hear from you after the show with Dr. Becca Levy. All right, let's go. Welcome. You're on air with Ella, where we share simple strategies and tips from people who are doing something better than we are. Whether it's wellness or relationships to just living better and with more energy or changing your mindset to accomplish more in your own life and succeeding however you define it. This is where we share the best of what we're learning from the experts and we're learning more every day. Live better. Start now. Let's go. Hey, you're on air with Ella, and today I am joined by Dr. Becca Levy. Hi, Dr. Levy. How are you? 
Hi, I'm good. How are you doing? Becca, would you please introduce yourself? Tell everybody who you are and what you do. Sure. Yes. So I would describe myself as a scientist or researcher, and I'm very interested in how cultures think about aging and how that can have a direct impact on older individuals as as you get older. Uh, I'm also a teacher. So I teach at Yale School of Public Health, and I have the joy of interacting with um, bright minds who are getting started in the field of public health. And then I am now an author. So I wrote just wrote my first book, which is about to come out called Breaking the Age Code. Well, I love it when guests share who they are and what they do. It's so much more interesting than reading a bio, but you left out a couple pieces that I'm going to share. <laughs> so I believe you received your PhD in psychology from Harvard, if I've got that right. And you now teach at Yale and you are credited with creating a field of study that focuses on how positive and negative age stereotypes can have beneficial and adverse effects on the health of older individuals. And that is why I wanted to talk with you today. So welcome, Becca. I'm super glad to have you. Oh, thank you. Yes, I'm super glad to be here. Thanks. Your team sent me this book called Breaking the Age Code, and I wanted to deep dive into the concept, the thesis, if you will, presented in this book, which is your beliefs about aging determine how long and well you live. That is a lofty statement, Becca. What inspired you to write Breaking the Age Code? Yeah, well, that's a good question. I became inspired to, to write the book. Actually, um, when I was in graduate school, I had the opportunity to go to Japan. And I went there with the purpose of trying to understand why they have the longest lifespan in the world. And the first thing that I noticed is how differently the culture treats older people than what I was used to. So at the time I was living in Boston and I had observed a lot of examples of ageism. And what I observed when I got to Japan was how older people were celebrated and there were, uh, there's a national holiday celebrating older people. And if you turn on the television, there are centenarians and super centenarians, people who are 110 or older who are treated like rock stars. And I just got this sense that it was such a different experience for aging because the culture thought about aging very differently. And my hypothesis, when I tried to understand what was going on, was that maybe there's something about these differences in age beliefs that is contributing to the longer lifespan that, that we see in Japan. And that started this whole field of research that I've, I've been looking at to try to understand how these age beliefs can impact our health. And we found a lot of different examples of how it actually can happen. Yeah, when you start telling me that how I think about the next several decades of my life can actually impact how I live the next several decades of my life, like you got my attention. I would love to set the table first with what your observations are about sort of the common false beliefs about aging, specifically in America. Is it fair to say in the Western world or is it really uniquely American? I think, unfortunately, we've um, we've exported some of our negative age beliefs further out. So, um, but uh, yeah, so I think actually, United, United Kingdom has views of aging that maybe even slightly more negative than ours. I saw in a recent study, but yeah, but ours unfortunately tend to be pretty pretty negative. But there are cultures that have much more positive beliefs too that we've been able to study as well. What have we got the most wrong, Becca? So, right. So what is it? So one of the things that I think we have the most wrong or one of the most common negative beliefs about aging is that uh, everybody's memory declines as we get older. So I think that's one of the strongest beliefs that come up in different studies that we've conducted. And we know that that just doesn't match the science. So we know that there are a lot of different types of memory. We know that 
there are some that stay the same. So like procedural memory or the ability to ride a bike, for example. And we know that there are other types of memory and cognition that actually improve as we get older. For example, learning new vocabulary. And there's something called metacognition, or which is which is how we think about thinking is something that actually seems to get better as we get older. So, um, so we do know that there are aspects of memory that get better. And we also know that there are older people who have phenomenal memories. So one of the people that I got to interview when I was writing the book is this 84 year old actor who took on this memory task of trying to learn a 60,000 word poem. And what was really interesting about him was that he successfully did it in part because he had his own positive age belief that he thought about. So he thought about this cellist who played beautiful, beautiful music in his eighties and his nineties. And so when he was trying to memorize his poem, he thought about this beautiful cellist music and he and it actually inspired him and motivated him and he did this wonderful task and performed it for a lot of people and so so yeah so there's a lot of examples of people taking on memory tasks and doing a great job in later life I have personal angst around folks because, you know, I'm in my late forties now. And so my peers will say things about something that is mm, denigrating in their life or something that is some ability that's decreasing, or, you know, they're just sore or they can't run anymore, whatever the thing is. And it's immediately followed with, you know, cause I'm getting old or I'm getting old. So I can't do it. And that drives me crazy, which by the way, I have those days. Like I'm not sitting on high saying, don't do it. I'm saying when I hear it, just like most things, when you see it in others, it's more, it's more clear. It's more (laughs) obvious. Right. And I think you are selling your brain a story that you don't need to be selling. What do you say to that? Exactly. I think you're totally right that there is this tendency to take on these cultural messages that tell us that all these parts of us are going to get worse as we get older. And if we take on those messages, then when we experience any kind of challenge, it's very easy to blame it on aging when in fact, it could be so many other things. So we know, for example, when people forget something, it could be because they were stressed. It could be because they were angry. It could be because they were you know, distracted. It could be because at the time when somebody was telling them something, they were you know looking at their phone and thinking about something else. So there could be so many things that are going on that lead to different kinds of challenges. And if we immediately attribute it to aging, that we don't give us ourselves an opportunity to think about all the other things that might be happening that we could actually keep on improving and changing. Yes. And in the book, you give some really interesting anecdotes. I call them anecdotes. It's probably actually data because I think this happened during your studies, but where people were exposed to positive examples of older people accomplishing things or older people enjoying their life or creating or being artistic in some way, when they were asked to describe older people, they used a completely different set of adjectives than people who had different role models or were marketed to differently throughout their life. I mean, you explain it in your own words, but I thought the stark differences were fascinating. Right. You're right. And something we found is just asking people to generate positive images of aging or think about examples of role models that they really respect, that that can lead to dramatic improvements in different kinds of outcomes. So for example, in one project, we asked people just write down an example of a positive active person and what they're doing during a day of their life. And we found even that activity of engaging in thinking about deeply um, this positive older role model 
that that led to improvements in balance and improvements in walking speed. And it lasted for about two months when we followed people. So, I mean, it, it can actually lead to these significant shifts in the kinds of beliefs that come to mind. You know, I don't know whether that's good news or bad news. I mean, what I'm hearing you say is what we are exposed to impacts our beliefs, therefore impacts our actions or our actual state of being. And when I think about what we're exposed to with marketing, with social media, I think, okay, we're screwed. (laughs) Pardon me, because I'm not seeing a huge amount of positive role modeling surrounding aging when I look at my television. Yes. And I think you're right. So in the studies that I've seen that have analyzed television, and we actually did a study on social media, and we found that there is a lot of negative messaging about aging. So we found in looking at all Facebook sites, for example, that describe older people, that most of them had negative stereotypes about older people. And you're right. So there's these terrible messages out there, but I don't think we're screwed. I think what's great about one of the messages from my research that I talk about in the book is that there really are concrete things that we can do to take control of the messaging. And we don't have to be passive recipients. We can actually become aware of what's happening and take on some tools that I describe in the book that can actually improve um, and strengthen our positive beliefs. So these beliefs about aging are very malleable. It's not like they're set in stone. It's not like we can't change them. We can improve them and strengthen the positive ones. Okay. And I definitely want to get to what some of those actions are, because I think it's important The first thing I'd love to do, though, Becca, is I'd really like to deep dive into understanding a little bit more about how our age beliefs can actually influence our health. Coming at your research from this angle is really important to me. So can you help me connect the dots a little bit? Because you say, and you talk about this as the biological code, how can we enhance our biological code with our beliefs on aging and how we go into this? Yeah, yeah. So that's a great question. So we know that our aging health, our longevity, we know that only about 25% is determined by the genes we're born with. So we know that 75% is actually determined by psychological and behavioral and environmental factors. And some of those we can actually have an impact on and, and improve, such as age beliefs. So your question about what is the process, you know, how does it actually happen? One of the ways that I actually became really interested in what happens with our exposure to these age beliefs is actually with, uh, I had this experience with my own grandmother. We were in a a store together. um, And at the time she was a 75 year old, very active woman. And we were, were walking down an aisle and she tripped over this sharp crate that was in the middle of the aisle. And it actually cut her leg and she fell and it was just really this awful thing. And I, and I was helping her out of the store and we walked by the store manager. And the first thing that he said to us was when he noticed my grandmother um, was, he said, well, why is she walking around anyway? She's an old lady and she shouldn't be out walking. And and yes, of course, this is going to happen. And she's going to trip over things. And so not only did he like not apologize for leaving the crate in the middle of the aisle, but he blamed her and made her feel, feel terrible. And I noticed with her that she felt very afterwards felt, um, so her, her leg actually healed pretty quickly, but 
I think her spirit was really hurt. I mean, she felt very diminished as, a, as an older woman and didn't want to go on her usual walks and engage in her usual exercise. So what I observed with her was that these messages from people could lead to like, behavioral changes. So she, she was less likely to want to exercise. It could lead to you know, psychological changes. So she felt less good about herself. Um, and then actually in my own research, I've examined those levels and also found that it can even occur on a physiological level. So we know when people take in more negative age beliefs, they have higher stress levels and higher stress hormones like cortisol. There's also this physiological pathway that can have the, make these cultural beliefs have an impact on our, on our health as we get older. That's incredibly powerful. And the fact that it led you even further in, into that research is actually kind of cool, but he's a jerk. <laughs> Definitely. Yes, definitely. He's a jerk. And actually, somebody pointed out to me after that, you know, that those negative beliefs that he had, those were going to hurt him as he get becomes older himself. Um, but yes, he was a jerk. So are you saying ultimately that our age beliefs are strong enough to actually affect our genes or that it's separately more influential because it's 75 V 25? So actually, that's a good question and something that I've become really interested in in my research. I'm really interested in this field called epigenetics, which is the field of how psychological factors can impact how our genes are expressed. So I um, have done a couple of studies trying to understand the relationship between the genes we're born with and these age beliefs that we that we get from our culture. And so um, actually in one study, we found that I looked at people who are born with this risky gene for dementia. And I was really interested in if those people took on these positive age beliefs from their culture, could that reduce their risk of acquiring dementia? And what we found was, in fact, it, it, there was this association. So we found that those who have the risky gene who take on positive age beliefs ha actually have a 40% lower risk of developing dementia. So it does seem like there's something that we can do, but we're not necessarily going to, if we have a risky gene, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to lead to a bad outcome. There, there is a way that we can try to adjust how those genes are expressed. To think that we have more control over something that has been sold to us as inevitable is really something. Exactly. That, that's what the research shows is that so we don't have to give up when we have certain kinds of risk that we can actually think about ways that we can make improvements in how we're thinking and, and our behaviors. And one of the ways we can do that uh, that we found in our research is to try to strengthen positive age beliefs. Okay, let's talk about some things that we should maybe start doing differently now. You know, the On Air with Ella family, we span a lot of decades. <laughs> so I had a retreat a few years ago and the youngest, youngest women there were in their 20s and the oldest guest there was 82 at the time, I want to say. So as somebody had brought their mother and it was really special, it was really, really cool. But no matter where you are on the spectrum, I think that you are opening our eyes to to the fact that we have more power than we think we do. And whether you're thinking about how you want to go into the next three decades or not, you're probably related to somebody who's already there, so to speak. So I think that this is highly useful no matter where we sit on the age spectrum. I want to start by asking you what successful aging means to you. And then I want to talk about how we're going to do this differently. <laughs> Sure. And I agree with you. I think you're totally right. I mean, I think it's something that we can, it's important to people. We age as soon as we're born, you know, we start to age and, and it's something. That's what I'm always 
saying? Yeah. I'm like, stop. A three-month-old baby is aging. Exactly. So as soon as we're born, every day is an added day on our life. And we're, we're going through this growth that lasts throughout our lifespan. And you're, you're right that it's important at any age to really think about what these messages are about aging. And they really, and, and we know children as young as three have already taken in the messages about aging of their culture. So they, it starts really early and then gets reinforced over our lifespan unless we pivot those beliefs. And that's something that we can do at just about at any age as well, which I think is really important. So what does successful aging mean to you? And I have my own definition too. For me, it's personal, but what does that mean to you in aggregate? Yeah. So in writing the book, that's something that I thought a lot about is what is successful aging. And I think on an individual level, it involves finding meaning and finding ways to be generative or making the world a better place. And one of the things I really enjoyed in writing the book is it gave me this opportunity to talk to all sorts of people who have found ways to um, make meaning in their lives, ranging from people who you know are um, world-class swimmers or some celebrities like Mel Brooks, who's you know find, found a ways to, to be incredible generative and creative in later life. And then the other piece of it, I think, is to find a community that supports positive age beliefs, that celebrates aging. So for example, um, in writing the book, one of the things that I really enjoyed learning about is this community in Zimbabwe of grandmothers who actually have taken on this role of trying to improve the mental health of their communities. And the way that the grandmothers do it is they meet different people of all different ages on these, what they call friendship benches and listen to their problems and offer advice. And what's really wonderful about this uh, model is that the community really celebrates older people. And so they're given this role of being advisors to the community and they have been improving the mental health of their communities. But at the same time in taking that role and giving meaning to their communities, they have improved their own health. So there've been some studies of these grandmothers and not only are they contributing to their community, but their own health has greatly improved. So there really is this, I think, back and forth of the individual and the community that can be a great process of a great cycle. Yeah, that's a great story that you share in your book. And without giving too much away, I just know that this was documented in the JAMA, the Medical Journal of American Medicine. And the team found that, quote, grandmothers were more effective than doctors in reducing depression, close quote. I loved that. I thought that was absolutely brilliant. Yeah. And also, it just makes you wonder what we're missing out when we aren't valuing people at their later stages of life. But let's talk now about what we can do. And one thing that I want to share is to me, successful aging involves two additional words. I love the word meaning. And you also said community. And I would also add for me, energy and freedom. And what I mean by that is the vitality, your life force is still very much in play. You are waking up with things to do that day and the energy to get them done. And no doubt that will look different at 92 than it did at 72 than it did at 52. That's not the point. That can be an evolution, but waking up with the energy to contribute and to engage is part of my definition of what successful aging looks like to me. And I say freedom, Becca, because freedom can involve personal autonomy. Personally, I I don't mean to be dark, but I'm scared of a future where I don't have personal autonomy. I can't take care of myself, you know, that type of thing. That does not sound good to me. Freedom means that you 
are in a body that allows you the privileges of those freedoms, but also at that age, you have more freedom maybe than you did at 25 or at 35. And that's a real blessing and a gift and a privilege. And so, so a successful latter third of my life would involve freedom and energy, meaning and community. And I think that even just challenging each of us to ask ourselves what successful aging means to us. Frankly, that guy, I hadn't done it before I read your book. So I have to thank you for that. Are there any other words that spring to mind for you personally before we get into some of the tips? Yeah. I mean, I think also maybe humor would be another one. So yeah, it's a big one. Yes. <laughs> so I think just finding humor in life and the ironies in life, I think, you know, and putting things in perspective, I think can all be part of that growth process. All right. Well, let's talk about what we can start doing today to combat some of our negative age beliefs, because it's not all raw, raw, shish, kambah. It can actually help shape our future. Certainly it can help shape the environment that we are sort of perpetuating for everyone, everything from social media to how we treat aging in our own home, in our own backyard, if you will, metaphorically, where do we start? Great question. So in the book, I present about 15 evidence-based tools, or which are all things that people can start to do right away. But some of the most powerful ones that I have found are ones that actually increase our awareness. That means, as, as you were saying, you started to notice, you know, these messages in social media and in sort of everyday day life. And I, so I think the first step is to increase our awareness because a lot of people, I think, don't even realize some of the negative messaging that's happening around them. One tool that I've found is particularly powerful is I've um, asked people to do something called age belief journaling. And what that involves is for one week, writing down every image of aging that you see, whether it be on social media, whether it be your favorite TV show that you're streaming, whether it be a magazine article, whether it be an advertisement that you notice on the street, even a conversation that you hear in your favorite coffee shop. So anytime you hear somebody say something about an older person or aging, write it down. And then also, if you notice that older people aren't mentioned in something that you're engaging in, so if you watch a show and you see there are no older people, so everybody on the show is, you know, in high school, um, so, you know, write that down as well. And then at the end of the week, look at all of the examples of where older people are mentioned or where they're not mentioned. That exercise of trying to really engage in these messages I found can be quite powerful in raising awareness and actually bringing about some improvements. Yeah, I have a personal challenge for the On Air with Ella family, and that is to even pay attention exclusively to advertising in any form that you see it. Because when I started doing that, I had to do some exercise. I think it was in business school, Becca, and was for marketing. So it wasn't around this issue at all. But in doing so, I realized that as a woman who is a consumer of fashion and beauty, uh, paraphernalia and products, I was being marketed to by like 13 to 17 year old models. <laughs> and I, and I still am. And like when, when they're showing the wrinkle cream, cause God forbid, right? <laughs> when they're showing wrinkle cream, they're putting wrinkle cream on a 42 year old model. 
Yeah, you're right. A lot of the marketing, the anti-aging marketing is actually now directed at like the young adult teenager uh, market, which is just, yeah, really terrible to start developing these, this fear of aging and this negative messaging about aging at, at such a young age. So you're right. It's a real, a real problem, but something that I think, I think we can turn around. I think so too. And one thing that I have done personally is just on social media, there is, I will tag these folks. I'm sorry. I don't have the power of recall right now. I don't know anybody's name or handle, but in Instagram, I follow one woman. She's in her seventies. She didn't lift a weight until she was 70 and she's super fit. Oh, she's train with Joan. Her handle is something like train with Joan. And she's now in her late seventies and she's just fit as can be, but more importantly, she's so vivacious and she's dialed into her own energy energy and she's just she's just a light in this world and she inspires me and so I will share I'll link in the show notes uh some of the examples of people that I have just added to my feed because if I'm gonna look at a 13 year old stick figure modeling some sweater I want to buy then I'm going to balance (laughs) that out with Joan (laughs) that's perfect so Finding those examples that inspire us that of, of older role models is also, I think, incredibly powerful and important. So we want to both reduce those negative messages, but then also reach out and strengthen the positive messages. And I think both processes are incredibly important. And we found that those can actually bring about improvements in, in health and functioning. Let's talk about one more that I think can be so, so powerful, and it can be in real life or virtual, and that is the power of role models. What, what did you discover in your research in the power of role modeling? Yes. So another example of something that we have found quite powerful is we ask people after they've done the uh, age belief journaling that we talked about, is we ask people to try to develop what we call a what I call a portfolio of positive images. But what's important is that they can be, they can have aspects, qualities that we admire that are, can be very different. So one person we could, we could really admire because of their sense of humor. Another person we could really admire because of their work ethic they've developed over time. Another person we could really admire because of some of their generativity or their activities of helping younger generation. So I think what we found is if we ask people to have a really diverse set of role models that they can think about different qualities that they really admire and try to strengthen those, those qualities in themselves, that that can lead to really strength, a strength of those positive images in themselves. Yeah, I'm just realizing that I'm really, really fortunate because both of my parents, they're in their 70s and very, very active. I think for my seven, my for my 70th, for my father's 70th birthday, I think it was, he went and climbed the Matterhorn. Like that's how he celebrated (laughs) a a couple of years ago. I ran a half marathon with him and I was genuinely worried he was going to beat me. Um, (laughs) And these are things I take for granted. And I'm realizing, of course, through your work and through this conversation, how lucky I am. Um, And even my husband's parents who are in their late eighties and no one ever told them that they were old, but they're English. They live in England and they have traveled their whole lives and nobody ever gave them the memo that said, you're old and you need to stop. So they just did three weeks in Asia together just before all of the pandemics obviously shut everything down. And it's been interesting because they never deigned to stop. They just didn't stop. So until the world shut down, I don't think they'd ever even been home five nights in a row. And I'm just sort of realizing how absolutely incredible that is and how lucky I am to have role models like that. But you point out that role models aren't just positive and nice to see, but they can actually change our own behavior. 
Right. But I think because we live in such an age segregated society, so our country has gone from being one of the most age integrated societies to one of the most age segregated societies. So unfortunately, I think there are a lot of younger people who just don't get the opportunity to interact with older people, you know, especially like on a day to day basis and don't get an opportunity to develop the positive role models. And then there's a lot of room for inserting or strengthening those positive role models. Well, Becca, I appreciate you so much, and I appreciate you giving us the opportunity to sort of start rethinking aging, how we think about aging, how we even describe aging. I got to tell you, I hate the word aging. I need a new word for that. So when you come up with that, let me know. (laughs) Okay. Becca, before I let you go, you know I have to ask you, totally unrelatedly, (laughs) what is one thing you are loving right now that you can share with us? Yeah. So actually, before we started recording, uh, we were just talking about our day. And um, I had this wonderful experience of waking up in Gloucester, Massachusetts, right next to the beach. And um, we were actually celebrating my mom's 80th birthday. And it was great to get some family together who went for this walk with their huge dog, (laughs) this huge sheepdog. And they hadn't been to the beach since the pandemic started. And it was such a wonderful experience of seeing the waves and there were surfers out, the sun was coming down on the waves and it was this beautiful teal color. And it was, it felt like it was kind of going straight to my soul, you know, like this, this scenery of awe was going right to my, my inner peace. And it was just a great thing, which I really reminded me how much I love the ocean. Becca, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for sharing your research with us in Breaking the Age Code. Podcast fam, you know that you can find all of the show notes at onairella.com. Thanks, Becca. Great. Thank you. It was wonderful to talk to you. Okay, that's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed today's show and got something out of it that you can use. If you did and you want to learn more, find me on Instagram at onairwithella or get the show notes and links at onairella.com. There's no with. It's just onairella.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you for sharing the show. And thanks for inspiring me. You are quite simply awesome.